I really miss talking to you, I have to say. Well, we do talk. We do talk all the time. That's, not That's true. I mean, we do talk every day. But I still miss you. I mean, it's nice to do this podcast together. Exactly. Missing recording together. Exactly. And sharing our thoughts with the world. <laughs> Anytime you think you have trouble, have a hard time. Have a hard time. Hi, I'm Jana Marashtigil. And I'm Laura Empana. And this is Not Loud Enough, a podcast where we, two very good friends, talk about feminism, migration, and culture in our daily lives. It's been a while since we recorded an episode. And I'm happy that we, we are doing this again today with a very special subject. Yes. Not an easy one, but as usual, we are trying to have a take on it from our uh, personal views and uh, from what we read and our experiences. And uh, let's see where the discussion will lead us. Yes. So today we were thinking to talk about patriarchy and how much um, patriarchy was uh, present in our way of growing up, about our relationship with our mothers, but also with our fathers and brothers. We both have uh, brothers. And very importantly, how did we react to a patriarchal system, so to say, or yeah. uh, of a traditional way of, of running a family, so to say. Yeah, all these gender roles that are so deeply rooted uh, in the way we, we grew up from our childhood, I think regardless of the cultures we come from, there are thought certain gender roles. And, and it takes time, I think, to, to challenge and question these. I didn't question these when I was a child because that's how I saw things around me, how my yeah. father was and my mom, you know. We talked about what was normal, not normal, but now we question what is the norm. So how, how did we get here? You know, I think it's interesting exactly. that how do you grow up in, in families that are quite, uh, I won't say conservative, because, uh, yeah. but in, in conventional, let's say, or mom, dad... Dad has a specific role, exactly. mom has mom a specific role, because she's a woman, she can do mm -hmm. the certain things and that does other things. I think what's interesting is also to show the complexities, like it's not black and white. And we are going to, to touch on that. And for me, it was interesting. Uh, I was thinking about all these things because recently I've been reading a very interesting book that uh, a Romanian friend of mine uh, lended to me, Alina. It's called Companions on the Road. Companions in Romanian, uh, is it has this word which is also used very much in communism, which is comrade, tovarășe de drum, the feminist experience in communism as a subtitle, and it's uh, coordinated by Radu Pavelgeo and Dan Lungu. The book is about the feminist experience in uh, during communism, And I think it's the only book that exists out there uh, on this subject, in, in Romania at least. It was published 10 years ago already. And although it's not um, perfect, so to say, because it, uh, it features stories of um, particular women, women who were educated, uh, are writers. 
It's a collection of stories uh, done together by, by two established writers who are male. It's very interesting. But as, as I said, maybe it doesn't encompass all the experiences, those experiences of less educated women. Nevertheless, it gave such a, an extraordinary view on how it was to be a woman back then from so many different perspectives. And it made me think about um, my childhood the relationship with my mother, the role my mother played in the family and how I was raised for what I was to become a woman or a future wife, which I'm not actually because I'm not married, <laughs> or a future mom. And again, I'm not, I don't have any kids so far. It, it talks very much about how the communistic regime brought an, an artificial mo model to make women equal to men because although legally they had so to say uh, they were equal to men they had the right to vote but we all know what it means to vote in an authoritarian regime <laughs> they they had the, the right to, edu to education and to work however um, their role remained very traditional especially in the private life where the women had to be the housewives they had to raise the children, they had to cook, clean the house, they had to do all these house chores. And uh, on top of that, they also had to work. I think um, one of the biggest traumas that they had was the law against abortion, which was in place for 23 years. And it's something that appears in the book as a common subject to almost all the stories um, it was a law which was uh, enforced in, in 1966 until 1989, uh, until the revolution. It was illegal to have an abortion. If you had an abortion, however, you were either jailed and or killed because a lot of women uh, who wanted to have an abortion uh, tried to do it uh, through other alternative ways. And most of the time, uh, this was um, fatal, fatal. So it's it's a subject I think um, it's very traumatic for for women to speak about even nowadays, and it's uh, I think it's also very painful for them to see that in some parts even nowadays we still fight for this right for, for the body of the woman not to become political because what this law back then was trying to do was to say that the procreation is uh, is the social duty of all fertile women. All these stories are about this are about sexuality are about how women live their sexuality, their uh, daily lives. There are parts, some, some women even publish their parts of their journals, uh, bits of life which describe a, a hard life for women in those times. And it's in, within this kind of society I also grew up. And it's with this in mind and in this background that I also uh, grew up. And um, there are two very good films about those times. One of the film is available on YouTube with English subtitles. It's okay. called The Children of the Decree of the Law. Mm -hmm. Because between the 66 and 89, a lot of, so to say, unwanted kids were born. It's all, all also my generation, some of my generation but also the generation of my brothers who are now in their 40s. The film is uh, made by Florin Yapan. Mm -hmm. And there is another film uh, which even won the Palm uh, Palm at Cannes. Christian Mungio's film. Exactly. Four months, three weeks and two days. Yeah. yeah. That's a powerful yeah. film. What you say is very interesting in terms of 
time. You say it's not so long ago. You know that period. You you were a child during that period. So you you've seen you you've lived it, and that's what people sometimes tend to forget. It's not so long ago. No. And these issues are still so much in the way we think, or or our parents think, or our society the societies in which we live and think. It's not just in certain cultures. It's still everywhere that patriarchy still rules. <laughs> still rules. And I think, you know, if, if I look back in the society that I grew up, uh, the fact that there was a revolution in between didn't necessarily change the mentalities uh, radically or not uh, immediately, so yeah. to say. Of course, there are some, some um, progress made, but there's still a lot, a lot of talk about violence, domestic violence against women, for example, in Romania. It's, it's, uh, it's a huge topic for the activists, not for the ruling party, so to say, you know, not for the government. I think for us, uh, for me, I, I've seen, as you say, it's not black and white because um, although I, I, I've heard the stories of my mom, um, the stories of my grand uh, grandmothers who had it even harder if we think if we go way back at the same time i also saw very strong women very resilient women and i think this had also an effect maybe indirectly maybe i was not very much aware at the time and i think i i, I inherited somehow i i absorbed some of that strength um, again, without maybe without realizing, but it's something that you know, as a kid, as a teenager, you you absorb things. You don't necessarily know what it is at, at at the moment, but being an adult and nowadays being so much more aware about these things, I start to to understand a bit more. Yeah, and to also know how I reacted back then, what I decided for myself, things that were not very in an organic way or, or not very direct, so to say. It's really fascinating because, like you say, you know, you have like strong role models in your family, women, very strong, resilient women in your own family or in the friend circle uh, in which you grew up. And I have exactly the same. Like we come from a Turkish Muslim uh, family. You know, I have I have a great grandmother who who left her husband to go to Germany with her lover. You know, that's I have that model somewhere. But then I still hear today how some women in my family are still mad at her. My grandmother is mad at her, of course, because she left her. She married her off at 18 and then she left. So that pain I can understand as well. And, and usually it's it's turned into, yeah, how can a woman do that? But then in a sense, why? I, I understand my great-grandmother as well. I understand her will for freedom and the courage it took to do that. But then I mm -hmm. also understand my grandmother's pain, who was left at 18, married to a man she barely knew. Yeah. She managed to make a good life out of it because my grandfather turned out to be a good man but what if he wasn't a good man what would she have done she would have been trapped thankfully it was he was a good man they had a good life together then my mother my mother marries my dad she moves to Belgium with him uh, they start a life in Belgium and then my father leaves her for another woman and she kind of everything shifts in, in her life and she needs to restart from scratch on her own. 
And that's when I'm fascinated by how, despite of everything she's been through, because she, after my father left, for instance, she, she had to do everything on her own. She had three kids. One of them was still a baby, my, my baby brother. She was pregnant when my father left. You know that it's quite horrible when you think of it. So yeah. imagine all the difficult Talking things. about strong women. Yeah, so she is definitely strong and she is resilient. Okay. And she does, you know, she, she has seen lots of not nice things in her life, especially because she's a woman. It was easier for my dad, you know. Because she's a woman, people started also to treat her differently. And, you know, men started hitting on her. You know, the certain men she was working with started hitting on her because suddenly she was husbandless. Things like, horrible things like that. She, mm -hmm. she had to deal with these things. Then she opened, she opened a cafe, you know, like, okay, imagine Turkish Muslim women <laughs> which, whose husband just left is opening a cafe and not Not a Starbucks or, or something like that. A cafe where you sell alcohol and you have all yeah. kinds of weird people coming and drinking. I mean, so the typical Belgian cafes, you could, if, you, if you know Belgium a bit, you know, it's like your local cafe where locals go and drink all day. And it's, it's a very weird experience. You know, I've, I've worked there when I was still in, in Belgium well, to help her out. And it's, it's, it's special. So imagine she's there and... She's the boss, you know, but then she still manages to tell me things like that I need to find a good husband, that I need to have children. And then, you know, she still tries to put certain gender roles on me. Like, this is how a woman should behave. You cannot go out with boys or you cannot be careful about your virginity or And she still, you know, she would still say things like this to me when I was a, a younger woman. And I'm like looking at her, looking at everything she managed to establish on her own. And mm -hmm. still she tries to put me in this box and in this specific uh, created by, by a patriarchal culture and society. So I'm mm -hmm. like. I, I try to a very confusing like, yeah, message. It is confusing because a, you're like, look at you. Person. Yeah, look at all the things you manage. You're a strong woman. You're independent. And, and now if you talk to her, she's like, she's happy not to have a man in, in the house because she's like, I'm happy alone. I love it. I have my grandkids. So she's very like, uh, she feels empowered by mm -hmm. being a, a woman on her own two feet. And I find this very powerful. But then the way she treats my brothers and, and me is different. The things she allows the boys yeah. are completely different from the things she allows me. And that I find still how, how much it's so much embedded in the way we, we are. And it's, it's like internalized sexism. It's really so internalized. And that's what scares me. And that's what I, I try to find ways, and you as well. I mean, we try to find ways to challenge that, how much internalized it is. And I have to be honest here. I, I, I feel a bit... Um, it's not easy to talk about this, because when you talk about your own family, yeah. it kind of hurts, because I... all the things we want to do, we show out to the world with this podcast as well, you know, like we show, yeah, we talk about feminism, we care about certain... And then when you look at actually where, how we grew up, you're like... <laughs> This is very contradictory, the things we learned and the things we now advocate for. Yeah, that's true. And it's kind of, it's not easy, I think, to tell to the world, yeah, this is how my family behaves. Mm -hmm. 
But on the one hand, I'm also proud of them. I also love them unconditionally. So this is the complicated part. And yeah, and my dad, for instance, I have a wonderful relationship with my dad, but he's a macho, you know, he's very macho guy. And I'm like, (laughs) now when I try to talk feminism with him, like, forget it. You know, it's like, I love him. I love my dad, but I'm not going to change his mind. He's my dad. I love him, but he's going to have to accept me as I am. Exactly. And he does, I think. They all do. Like my brothers as well. Like for Christmas, they offered me uh, feminist uh, comics. (laughs) So I'm like, okay. So uh, coming back, you know, to the black, it's not black and white. Yeah, I I totally agree because I experienced that in my family as well, where, um, you know, the, the father and the boys had specific roles, which were very different from me and my mom. Uh, for example, in, in, in our case, um, my father would not do or the boys would not do any house chores. As, as a teenager, I hated because my brothers, they would come and they would every time they would want to go somewhere, they would come and ask me to iron their shirt. And I was like, why do I need to do that? You can do that by yourself. Like, no, because this is what you need to do because one day you will have a husband. And, and I, the way I would react to that, I would be like, I will never have a man who would not iron his own shirts or I will never have a man who will not know to cook but so back then I I I didn't have any other choice that was it but somehow as I say to you now and I decided for myself that this is not what my life is going to to be when I'll be in a relationship and now I don't know 40 years later in the marriage of my parents I see my they are retired now and I see it's it's wonderful to see my father he he helps my mother in the house um last year for example in summer I I went home and my mom was a bit ill and I I I was saying to my dad I'm going to go and prepare breakfast for us and he said no 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 let me do that <laughs> and I think it was the first I was like what <laughs> For the first time, I was like, oh, that's very nice, you know. So it, it's nice to see these kind of uh, small changes if, if, if you want. But um, still, the figure of the father stays there as a very powerful figure in yeah. the family. Even now when my brothers are in their 40s, they have their own families. I'm almost 40 as well. So what it's also interesting is that uh, I was very happy to see that my brothers, although they grew up with this kind of model as well, they also behave differently with their wives and they help them mm-hmm. uh, with raising the kids or uh, doing house chores. Or So that was also nice. For, for our parents, they also, grew up, they also grew up in this mentality society. Yeah. My father was never exposed to helping with the house chores. It was mm-hmm. not his duty. Yeah. And he would tell us later on, like, yeah, I, I really don't like to cook. I don't, I don't like these things. But he was also never exposed to them. At the same time, we also had family friends where I've seen that the husband would cook or would iron his own shirt or vacuum. So I also saw that. Yeah, and yeah, but in all this, what really fascinates me is that all these specific gender rules you know like and let's not even go there in talking about you know that gender is a construct etc like (laughs) they won't even hear it I think you know how how can you explain our parents that gender is a construct (laughs) and that uh, there is no norm I'm not even going there because that's another episode I think what what fascinates me is that all these binary gender uh, roles 
are perpetuated by the women also. You know, it's women that keep reminding you, you have to behave that way. Like my dad doesn't tell me things like that. My mom does, for instance. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, mom, after all you've been through, why do you tell me this, you know? And, but then I, it's, it's like I said, it's internalized. It's so much it internalized. Is. And I think it's good that we get rid of this. The thing we're going to try to pass on to other people in our surroundings, whether it's it's not our children in our case because we don't have children. Um, I don't want any children. I don't know, maybe you. That's another episode we could talk about. Children, <laughs> the right to have or not to have children. And uh, talking about children, my cat just jumped on the table. The <laughs> <So. laughs> tiger is always with us. Yes, yeah, so he, he heard, you know, I was talking about kids. So he said, don't forget me. And he jumped on the table. Even if we don't have children, we have other people in our lives. We pass on things to. I have a goddaughter. She has a sister. I have nieces, uh, nephew. I have kids and uh, non-kids as well, you know, people, adults, friends. So we have enough people around us to, to, to share a different way of seeing the world together and try mm -hmm. to build something better together. So I, I, I do believe strongly that it's good for us to, do, to have these discussions and share as much as we can. And, and this sharing requires that we are honest with where we come from as well, because yeah. that also shaped the way we think what we challenge is also what we were taught we are questioning as well i mean we're also questioning ourselves coming to all the gender roles it's until very recently until a few years ago that i started realizing that actually yes gender is a construct and it's possible to be you know uh, non-binary it's possible mm -hmm. so many possibilities regarding who you are and how you express who you are If you would have asked me 10 years ago, I, I maybe would have said, oh, no, there's only men and women, you know? Yeah. You, so we also change. We also learn. I, I think it is possible to change and learn. It's like, and also questioning the, the way we are in the world and how we want to express ourselves is also fluid, you know? And not just uh, our gender, but also our sexuality. All these things can, can change. And we need the space to know that what we were taught as kids and young people and the way we grew up never led to this because for example my mother also tried to prepare me for a traditional role mm -hmm. so to say you know and th that comprised for example something that I didn't enjoy at all uh, when she was calling me on a Saturday to help her cook Mm. I hated it and she knew that <laughs> and sometimes I would take advantage because she she's someone who you know she, she would call for help but if she sees that you don't enjoy it she will be like oh I don't need this I'll I'll rather do it alone than having you here with this face and so sometimes <laughs> I would even take advantage of that <laughs> because But you see, it's, uh, later on, I reflected very much on it because uh, I would rather, you know, read a book, do something else, be outside or any, anything else. And, and something that I, I appreciated very much about my parents was that they will never come, how do you say this in English? They will never come against uh, our education. So mm. if you would say, I need to study or I need to, yeah. they would not interfere with that because yeah. they made somehow their life goal to for us all all the kids to have an education something yeah. that they didn't have access to anyway another story 
And I reflect a lot about how I reacted back then because it's a, it, 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 was, it was a reaction against this duty that we as a women have to have within a family. Mm-hmm. Because I was not taught, it was not taught as a pleasure, you know, like, oh, let's, let's cook. Although my mom, she loved to cook, she loves to cook. She, there was a pleasure there too, but it was much more, it's a duty. You, it's because only women have to do this. And I took it like this. And, and even till today, I don't like to cook mm-hmm. and I do not, of course, I, I, I know how to cook. I, I, I will not starve if I, you know, <laughs> if put in the situation is not about that. And I can even say that I can cook and it's, it's, it's good. You know, it's, it's, it's good. It's not, it's not horrible. But I don't have that joy and it still feels to me like uh, I'm I'm, uh, wasting my time. I could do anything else. It was this reaction uh, back then. And I remember uh, one of my brothers, he would sometimes make fun of me saying... I'm pretty sure your husband will, you know, will not know how to cook, will not know this, will not know that. So you have to do all these things that you hate. And back then, of course, these, these were very upsetting things. And, and you know, you, you also didn't have a voice. You, you couldn't change these things. Mm. But somehow it was uh, through, through, through the reactions, I kind of decided what I wanted for myself later on. Mm. What if... My mom, my aunt, you know, our grandmothers, what if they would have lived in another society? What would they be? What they, their interest would be? Mm-hmm. Um, would they have any kids? Would they be married? There were so many things which were taboo to talk about. Mm-hmm. The divorce, for example. Although I had a, an aunt who got divorced and she didn't care about what people said and, and so on. Mm-hmm. I had another aunt who stayed in a very unhappy marriage to mm. have a family for her kid didn't divorce but and then when I, I often talked with her and she said oh I don't know what would I have done I don't know it's it, so you see it, it was a struggle it was a it's it's not easy but I was um along the years um and even much more now I'm happy I can I can talk to to them about these things and you see sometimes I think they also regretted, in a way, the, the fact that they didn't have other choices. Yeah. But, but they are happy that our generation now has it a bit better. better. Like I said earlier, my parents also divorced, but my mom, it was very difficult for her because she was a, house, a housewife, so she didn't work. She was living in Belgium it had been 13 years she was in Belgium. So it's a country where she never worked. Suddenly, she has to start her life over. But the shame associated with that was very strong because she didn't even want to tell her family at first that she was getting a divorce. So for months, I remember, we were asked by mom not to tell our grandparents. So we had to lie to them. And I was now that I think of it, I'm like, why did she have to go through this on her own? It would have been nice if her family could support her in these difficult days, you know. But the problem is that their idea of support will be trying to bring them back together. And that's another issue, you know. Nobody's accepting that divorce can be something good, maybe. Because if people are not happy together, why force people to stay together if they're unhappy together? And so I can understand. I wouldn't have been mad if they 
had divorced and done that properly, but because of all the shame associated with it, because it is seen as a failure, because, you know, all these very negative things around the idea of divorce, it was a hell, hell for her, hell for my dad, hell for us as kids, you know, it's, it was a very bad period of our lives, all these years we have to go through, and it, it was all conflict, and yeah. it could have been dealt with much better, because if only they accepted that it's okay to divorce, it's okay for her not to live with a husband, you know, and, and, and everything was on her shoulders, all that shame was on her shoulders. Yeah, because I think it it was uh, looking back also in in Romania in communism, it was a, a social stigma as well, and even much more if you were living in the countryside. Oh yeah. Oh God, it's like there. That's you... worse. <laughs> exactly, and we were living in the countryside. Mm-hmm. Not that my mom or my parents uh, thought about divorce. They they really married for for love. They are together since. 40 plus years Uh, they are still together so I me too I found out about the divorce of the aunt oh my god I think I was a teenager or even later than that so you you would not talk about this Mm. and was such a it's it's this is the idea of shame around it it's shame it's a shame thing to do yeah it's unconceivable for a woman to be able to choose if she's unhappy to choose otherwise to choose for her life mm-hmm. and i think a lot of uh, a lot of women didn't didn't choose to to divorce because of of um, the stigma yeah. around it and also because they couldn't uh, sustain themselves although in communism everybody had to work so women were working were raising the kids were doing thousands of things so mm-hmm. you would work but if you had kids if you have i'm pretty sure during communism there must have been divorces and but this it was not illegal to divorce but it was a, st- a stigma around it that would twice you would never imagine yeah. to, to do this you would rather stay and work things out in yeah. your in your marriage we're, yeah, we're not talking about what legal anyway, because yeah. le- legally they have the right. And also in Turkey as well, as a woman, you have the right to, to divorce. In Islam also, you have the right to, to divorce. There are certain rules. Uh, so we're not talking about that. I think we're... F- More about perceptions. Exactly, about perceptions. And because even if you have the right to do it, it doesn't mean people around you are going to accept it and they're not going to point fingers at you. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. So when when my mom was alone immediately she was seen differently by people even and that that's horrible you know it's like oh she's now divorced so she's haha we can all try with her you know that's a bit the idea you know colleagues and friends and suddenly these men started looking at her differently because what she was free no but no Mm -hmm. she wasn't free of course you know it's not like when she was married she was protected in a way and now not yes that perception is so sick I think it's also a perception of you're not a serious person if you do that. 
Yeah, of course. Oh my the God. serious person is is in in the box of a marriage, having mm-hmm. a husband. It's like otherwise, it was one of the stories in the book. Uh, it, it it was so interesting to read. Uh, it also touched a bit on this uh, abortion theme, and they were talking about contraception, mm-hmm. which was completely banned. But however, I think it's the first time I've heard about contraception during communism. <laughs> it was in this book. Now it's crazy, and apparently they. There was a, a a condom available, very hard to get on the market, but with it's so crazy with subliminal messages on the package. It was drawn um, a butterfly, and in Romanian you have the saying uh, to fly as a butterfly from flower to flower, oh, yeah. which means you are not a serious person. You know, you 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 go from partner to partner, from yeah. relationship to relationship, and this is not accepted. And so, you know, you you bought that, and already you had this message of you are an easygoing person, you are not a serious person, you are this kind of person who you know doesn't doesn't stay in a, in a monogamous. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And another thing was that uh, she, the author said that also these these condoms they were not safe in fabrication. Sometimes they were there were holes in them, so you would never know if you were really protected or not. Can you imagine these women how they lived? I mean, how they experienced their their sexuality with a lot of fear. If you are outside the norm, you are not a serious person. You are mm. not a reliable person. Yeah. It gets back to the idea of the how the female body is like politicized and also yeah. like you know control. They always want to control women's bodies, and it's all for the good of men. You know, like they're okay; they can do whatever they like. But when it comes to women, we have to protect uh, virginity, and uh, they cannot sleep around, and all these ideas. And when the when men do it it's fine as even yeah. when they're married you know like i remember my mom would all, always say like you don't leave your husband unless he beats you or he's an alcoholic there's no <laughs> other reason you know and i'm like how how about if i don't love him anymore or what, what yeah. happens then you know no no you know like if he beats you yeah that's good re- good good reason. reason to leave uh, a man and he if he's an alcoholic as well yeah that's also and you're like oh wow so that's the only option. Otherwise, you, yeah. you stay. There's no reason why you should leave a, a man. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm, sure, nice. But then uh, if the man cheats on you and things like that, that's okay. You know, it's a man. But if you do the same, it's, oh, you're the worst person on earth. You know, like, uh, how about women's desires and needs? You know, who cares? Nobody cares about that. No. And it's it's something that uh, also... Uh, again in the book reappeared and um, I was so happy to see that this was uh, expressed the fact that uh, there was no solidarity by men mm-hmm. in those times related to the abortion law that they would be more protective or more attentive so the women were so so left alone to deal with 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 all these things it was mm-hmm. their problem it was they were silenced they were very lonely they had to fulfill so many roles mm-hmm. as you said nobody cared what she wanted, what she desired. Mm. I'm happy that I didn't get to 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 live that much under that uh, regime. Mm. Although, as I said, after the revolution, it didn't mean that mentalities changed in a nutshell. Yeah. It, I mean, it still uh, it still continued. But yeah. at least I'm I'm happy that I arrived to a, pre- a certain awareness about these issues and. Um, as you said, we are able through different means to 
spread the word, talk about our experiences, talk, yeah. you know, but at least nowadays there is a, there is a conversation about that because exactly. a few years ago we didn't even have that. Yeah. And, and, and now what I like, for instance, it's our, we talk about our own experiences and how we, we perceive yes. these things through our families and our personal journeys. Maybe some people will recognize certain things, some people may not. But I think it's important to just get it out there. I care deeply about not saying it's bad in certain places and not in others, because it's not true. You know, it's, it's also bad. I think it's bad for women everywhere. At different yeah. different levels, of course. Yeah. But I mean, women, we see it, you know, look at the US, uh, look at how misogynistic and, and sexist Western societies are. So it's not just about places like our countries. <laughs> it's also uh, everywhere. And... Look at in Poland, what happens with oh my God. women still fight for, yes. exactly with this abortion thing. Or Ireland as well. Ireland, yeah. same thing. And it's, it's very... So I think it's important really to, to remind everyone that this is a global fight, that we are all in this together. Of course, as I said, different levels, you know, women have different rights uh, everywhere, but it's, it's a global, uh, global rights issue. Uh, for women and human rights issue, you know, mm-hmm. I, I find that very important to to not point fingers, but work together. This is always what I, what I try to do through the work I do. Because my mom, after all, yes, she comes from a Turkish culture, Muslim culture, but she was in Belgium. Everything that happened to her happened in in Brussels, you know. <laughs> so what yeah. was what was the Belgian system doing then to help her, you know? The, the way they treated immigrants coming uh, to yeah. their country and well, and rejecting them from the you know the free society. Yeah. You know that, that what role did that play? You know and mm-hmm. where were her Belgian friends? You know that's let, let's you know you can criticize her from all sides. So it, it it's really the struggle of women have lots of similarities in the way they feel and they have to go against all these very patriarchal rules and they they after all what do they want they want freedom they want to be free to be who they want to be they want to act as they want to be they want to work they want to create they want to to have sex they want to you know all these things they want to love who whomever they want to love all these things are universal you know this yearning for freedom we all deserve that yeah, it's very good, Belle. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, I mean, we, we hope it touches you in some way. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, we it's, wouldn't it's, do it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a reflection as well on, on our memories, on how we got where we are today in terms of how we think about these issues. Yeah. As you said as well, how we um, behave today, in how we are in our relationships, or it defines the way we choose we made choices in our lives yeah and i think it's very important you see i mean i i read this book and completely brought me back to memories and to reflection about how was this for me we we lived in different societies we lived in different uh, period of times and in different types of families as well model exactly. of families so um yeah totally exactly like 
families are now also reconstructed you know like it's not a mom dad kids it's like you have uh, stepbrothers and sisters and you have like uh, several moms and dads maybe you know like so many different ways of of, of being a family and and choosing yeah. to to have or not have a family yeah. and going back to the importance of talking about these issues i think about it now in romania there is a huge huge debate of what does it mean to be a family they they really the the, the government in power now they want to uh, give a law if they haven't passed it already where by constitution they want to say that uh, the traditional family is formed by men and women oh my god men, men and women so it's important to talk about these experiences, to talk about the roles we have, to talk about, you know, a family nowadays is not only formed by men and women. And it's also yeah, all the it's shame. very disturbing. Yeah. It at is the moment. extremely disturbing and going backwards, really. And when we... you have these kind of experiences, you know, that uh, mm. were gathered. I mean, I don't even know how, how many uh books are out there or how much documentation is out there about uh the the, the gender roles during mm. and keep coming back there because uh it influences you how who you will become you know mm. is, is there anything in your book about uh lgbtq people during communism time or queer no. identities during, for example, I, I would no. love to to hear read something about that for instance I, I would love to as well but maybe i'll make some research to see now i i see there are all kind of uh, movements activist movements as well back home mm. and feminist uh, movements too um, uh, so they are also doing research but i i really don't know about that because mm. they were very uh stigmatized and very discriminated alongside uh, the Roma yeah, yeah, yeah. and disabled people. During yeah. communism, the, the, these minorities, they were um, heavily discriminated. Because mm. what happened back then and the kind of mentality you grew up in back then, it influenced the way you think today. There are also religious, country religion plays a, a huge role. And even in this law about the traditional family, Nowadays, uh, at home, the, the 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 church plays such such a huge role. It's 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 horrible. And it's a discussion to be continued. You yeah, know, exactly. it doesn't end here. Exactly. Oh, hey, thank you for listening to Not Loud Enough. And so, Laura, where, where can people find us? <laughs> As usual, on Twitter at NLE Podcast, on uh, Facebook at Not Loud Enough Podcast. And um, where is the email address? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Not Loud Enough Podcast at gmail.com. It will all be in the show notes anyway. And you can listen to us uh, wherever you listen to podcasts too. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Overcast. Come listen to us. Join our conversations. And, and, share, and share your thoughts with us. Yeah, uh, that would be would like so. And remember, we can never be loud enough about issues we care about. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Till soon.